Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andre Degeler. In our today's episode, I would like to play back for you an interview with Boris Lokshin, the co-founder and CEO of Spryker, which is an e-commerce platform founded in Germany. Listen to this one until the end to hear some very insightful and very encouraging advice to today's European founders. Hey, this is Robin Waters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, by Boris Lokshin. He is the founder of a company called Spryker, based out of Berlin, but offices around the world. And they deliver essentially enterprise commerce software to, I think, 150 plus clients now around the world. Boris, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. Thanks, Robin, for having me. How have you been? How has the, the COVID situation been treating you? Uh, you know, I'm good and, uh, you know, business is doing well, uh, obviously, you know, also went through some crazy times as all of us, I guess, in the last, uh, 18, 18 months or so we, we, we started around summertime this year to, you know, uh, reopen, reopen the offices. Uh, we have now a new headquarter in Berlin. It was redesigned, reshaped. So it's not the place for where you would, you know, come in to do permanent work anymore. So it's rather, you know, for working on new ideas and socializing, etc. Um, in fact, we do have maybe like desks for permanent desks for maybe less than 30% of the people. Uh, and this works quite fine. I mean, I think people have found a good balance between performing the rather routine tasks that you can do well, you know, at home, uh, writing emails, doing sales calls, writing code, whatever, and the more conceptual strategy, uh, etc. tasks that, that you really want to do with people standing in front of a whiteboard, get to know your colleagues, etc. Yeah, well, glad to see that people are actually moving into this hybrid model because it's talked about, talked about quite a lot, uh, but I haven't seen it implemented uh, in in lots of places yet. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I gave a little bit of an introduction on Spryker, but of course you can do a much better job. Um, so if I would ask you to describe Spryker in a nutshell, how you, how would you put it? Yeah, I think in a nutshell, we are, as you said, we are digital uh, digital commerce uh, technology. So we provide, you know. Um, we don't provide software to uh, to enterprise, uh, mostly to enterprise clients or to you know uh, corporate uh, corporate um, spin spin outs uh, that you know would build in a greenfield uh, digital commerce use cases. Uh, we are very focused on B two B and uh, what is currently called enterprise marketplace capabilities. So basically, uh, more mature B two C B two B businesses try to evolve into the next kind of you know uh, le the, like to the next level, which is becoming either a marketplace or a platform. You know, having more uh, merchants on the platform, having more services, products, etc. Unified commerce also a thing, especially last year during Corona. So the entire click and collect, curbside pickup, uh, you know, capabilities, I think, were very crucial to many of our clients. And uh, you know, we try to to enable what we call sophisticated transactional business models. So not just the you know very standard um, you know B two C retail kind of use case, but there's a lot of exciting things going on when you think about digitalization of food and groceries, uh, pharma, education, gaming, manufacturing, services, insurances, etc. And they all need a transactional kind of engine behind it. There is always like, you know, payments being done, there is products or services being consumed and bought, there's customers, orders are managed. So, uh, you know, the, the capabilities you would also expect from a, when you just buy t-shirts online, but in a maybe more sophisticated way. And uh, I think we are now the leading platform in the world to, to power such use cases. Right. Um, when you say the word platform, what does that actually mean? Is, is it a set of tools that you provide or is it like a modular platform where basically your enterprise customers, um, you know, take whatever they need at whatever uh, time they need it? 
I think it's a good combination of both. Uh, you know, the market has proven uh, that, uh, you know, customers don't want to deal with commodity, right? They don't want to reinvent the wheel. This is why there are many very good SaaS products, software as a service, where basically the vendor provides you functionality, but also the operational, uh, you know, takes out the operational complexity, runs it in the cloud, updates it, supports it. On the other hand, in the enterprise world, it's a lot about differentiation, right? So it just means by definition, especially in the verticals that I just mentioned as examples that are not yet commoditized, that you need to uh, you need to differentiate, right? You, you need to figure it out. Uh, there is not, if you look at food and groceries around the world, digital you know penetration is maybe less than five percent. So there is no yet, uh, there is no yet established uh, grocery digital grocery footprint or pharma footprint or how to do how to make a machine smart that is you know replenishing itself automatically. Unlike we all know it from fashion, electronics, books, the categories that are around, uh, you know, for 20 years now. So um, this is why you have to find the balance between not making it, you know, too prescriptive. And, you know, here, here are the features that I think you need and not making a custom project out of it where customers will have to build everything. This is why the, there is a term kind of in between the SaaS, the software as a service and the custom world, which is a pass platform as a service, where you try to balance it out saying, look, you know, I, I know that how a card looks like. I know how payments look like. I know how a customer record looks like. You get all the features. You can use our PIM, CRM, whatever. But we also understand that your development team or your partner's development team will customize, extend it, and we need to allow for this customization easily while still being able to run and operate it in our cloud. Yeah, well, it sounds like a very interesting balance that you need to maintain over there. Um, yeah. Maybe let's let's talk about the history of the company um, and, and maybe also your history, because I know you've been building businesses from your late teens uh, up until now. Uh, the company was founded in uh, 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what was the situation back then that told you, okay, this is this is something that we need to build? Uh, what, what what was the the market like then? Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. I mean, the market, you know, and especially technology moves so fast. This is my uh, third commerce technology business. You know, I built my first, um, today would call it a software as a service cart, you know, right after high school, we built it, uh, we, we have operated it for a number of larger clients in Germany. And then we ended up selling it to one of our largest clients uh, two and a half years later. And then I uh, founded a company that became ultimately one of the largest SIs in the um, in the Magento space. There was a very famous open source commerce platform called Magento. Um, and this business was also eventually acquired by a large Nestec listed um, company. And they put it together, they merged it together with uh, some capabilities and people they had. Uh, and we did another couple of acquisitions. So the end result was basically a portfolio out of 500 people. And we had all the major enterprise platforms in the commerce world back then in the portfolio, right? Uh, many of them then being later acquired by Salesforce, SAP, et cetera. So it was good, good time for me, first of all, because I was working for somebody for the first time in my life. Second, because now we got exposed to more than just retail use cases with, with the companies before it was primarily B2C retail. And now we are building digital commerce for uh, telcos, for insurances, for banks, for publishers, for manufacturers around the world. And sitting on, on you know, basically the state of the art enterprise platforms in the portfolio back then was, you know, uh, helping a lot uh, with, you know, understanding, you know, what is working, what is not working. And I saw us sometimes investing thousands of days to customize these platforms to just, you know, fit very, very easy use cases. So they were clearly not designed for everything but retail. They were not designed to serve B2B. They were not designed to build marketplaces, etc. I could also see, so this is the technology piece. I could also see on the methodology side that the market is changing 
from you know enterprise uh, and corporate customers were used to 24 months 36 months you know large enterprise projects seven digit budgets that it took you know from a very simple idea to the first country going live and now what we all knew from the startup and and company building world rapid time to value uh, low total cost of ownership, MVP approaches, agility, constant trial and error, right? This all swapped over to the corporate world. So now everyone wanted to have something live in 100 days, right? Now everyone wanted to have a first prototype, a first, you know, cohort of users being served for 100K and not like for 2 million. Now it was not just the CIO anymore buying software. It was more the business. It was, you know, marketing, it was sales. It was uh, the more, let's say, business value generating functions right and they were demanding for a lot of you know business agility flexibility they wanted to you know change things more often they wanted to start small ideas without investing millions and test them out and the the, the, the products back then they were just not designed for this use case at all and last but not least it was also like on the customer touch point right you could clearly see that the market obviously is moving from just this desktop use case to mobile and tablets and tablets and IoT and glasses and watches and whatever, right? So it was increasingly more complex, you know, for you as a software vendor to to build a product that basically handles, you know, the, and serves the customer at whatever touch point, right? And doesn't pre, pre, pre predict it. It's super agile, you know, supports all the modern methodology, supports the new type of buyer, and enables new use cases for which you know the legacy platforms have never been built for. And this was the time when you know I thought, okay, you know, there the, the might be there might be some opportunity in here. Let's let's uh, let's see how potentially a next gen platform could look like. And you know, I was teaming up with my co-founder then, and we were brainstorming about how you know uh, this this should work. Uh, and yeah, Spryker was basically the you know the the result coming out of this. Great, and it was founded out of Berlin, I believe, right? Yeah, end of end of twenty fourteen, and we founded founded uh, the company in Berlin. You know, the, the we spoke about. Um, remote work i mean for us in 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 a in a sense it was it was easier because the, the company was always distributed right we found it in berlin none of us was living there so Alex, my co-founder you know comes from the north of germany i'm coming from uh, uh from the middle of germany so you know the the uh, then you know uh, one of the other managers was also from another from another city so we kind of from day one were very distributed very much used to remote work um you know having all the tools in place and of course, now with Corona, this all you know accelerated. Yeah, great. But do you, do you have offices around the world? I read somewhere that you have offices in Singapore, in Berlin, New York. Um, how many people do you have in total, by the way? Yeah, yeah. So we are now four hundred people, roughly, right? So I, I guess we will be like five hundred something by the end of this year. So you know, growing, growing very quickly. Uh, they are scattered across forty countries. So uh, this remote, in fact, it's a remote first culture nowadays, right? So there is no. There is no country limitation when we open uh, issue a job description, right? So we always search for you know globally, right? Uh, un unless it's a I don't know like a regional sales profile for a region. Sure, sure. So uh, which is which is quite quite cool because it gives you the access to AAA talent around the world, right? Uh, it 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 also it also gives you uh, significantly more people in in your recruiting funnel, right? And you know it helps with diversity. It helps with you know a different perspective, different different countries. Yeah, some people live in locations or close to locations where we do have offices, like you know Berlin, um, Hamburg in Germany, uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands, UK, you know New York in the US. But majority is, is scattered, and they would then come in and travel in and fly in uh, for 
there are team meetings, there are offsites, there are brainstorming sessions, and and use use the you know the offices um, in new way and not just to come in and you know perform the sure. tasks. Yeah. But it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, of course, you can hire the best talent, uh, you know, in the world if you work in a distributed way and remote first. But of course, that goes for everyone else as well. So it sort of levels the playing field, which is great. But at the same time, it gets a lot more competitive. And it was already quite competitive for talent uh, out there before. But it seems to me that, you know, now you really make a difference in culture and purpose and, you know, how fast you're growing, how much you can reward talent when they join. Uh, that sort of thing. Is that something you agree with? Uh, absolutely, we, we you know we we rolled out um, we rolled out a work concept which is I think very forward thinking. We call it Flow, which stands for for a flexible life Oryx, which is uh, the antelope we use in our logo, uh, and and work. And Flow is basically uh, you know um, bringing together all the different pieces of how we envision you know work going forward to be to, to look like. It starts with a lot of emphasis on outcome versus output oriented work right so this is something we believe in truly just you know uh, that people need to understand the vision need to understand the goals they need to have transparency we need to share more data more kpis you know okrs in place all these things and then it goes it goes further to you know if we believe that people have understood the outcome that we expect we should not prescript where they perform work for example this is why it's a remote first work from anywhere culture so we would subsidize Wherever you work, you know, whatever you need, for example, if you are uh, opting for working from home, we would pay for your furniture, we would pay for your electricity, for your internet, we would partially pay for your rent, right? If you are, um, you know, deciding to pay uh, to work from, uh, I know, Subway, we would pay, you know, for your coffee and for your internet there, uh, you know, if it's not free. Uh, if, you're, if you decide to travel, you know, we would cover this. So we are basically equaling, you know, the, the work conditions, like you, we would also invest into, your, into you when you would be in the office. We also don't prescribe when when to perform work, like so time-wise, you know, the teams are flexible. There is no like eight to five or nine to eight, whatever. So the teams are, uh, you know, open and free to, to to balance it within the team. There are there might be some night olds who decide to, you know, maybe I know the developers they want to sleep sleep longer, but you know, are okay, absolutely working working at night. There might be some people in finance who you know are early birds and they want to you know start at seven a.m. Right, there might be people across countries, different time zones who need to align it. There might people might be people with different, um, you know, private private situations like you know taking care of the children in the morning, bringing them to the school, then doing some work, then picking children up, having a break for two hours, you know, and making sure the kids are taken care of, then continue. We have a lot of very flexible work models like this. We are not we are not limiting your vacations. You can take as much many vacation days as you need. Right, we are not telling you how much you should you know how long you should take off if there are people who are taking off less than the average number of days because they just don't need it there are people who are taking a bit more because they need it for health or family reasons but there are also people who are just using it in a more flexible way doing more city trips you know uh, going uh, renting a house in spain with friends you know and then doing half half day work maybe while the kids are at the pool and having the evenings you know, uh, for them to get some some paella and some 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 wine, and not having this two three weeks off and then catching up after work. So that what we all know is is not working well. So people are using it as they want, and as long as they they understand the outcome and deliver against it, we feel like this is the more modern approach. And you know, so far since we have rolled it out, people are super super happy. Report that you know they're much more relaxed. You know, it it. it Again, it's flow. That's why we call it flow, right? It's about how to integrate work in your life and not your life into work. And this is the big difference, I guess, from 
everything we know from, you know, the Googles and the like, you know, these, these companies did everything possible to integrate your life into your work. You know, they built this nice campuses so that you have no reason to leave it, right? That you stay there, your hair is being cut, there is a gym, there is a kindergarten. And we think the works 3.0 is integrating work in your life and not the other way around. And this is what we try to do. Super interesting and also an interesting uh, model that you rolled out. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people will be taking some inspiration from that if they're listening. Um, now, let, let's go back uh, to talk a little bit more about the market. When you launched, of course, the situation was what it was. Uh, we're now about seven years in. Uh, so obviously, the market has changed and evolved. Um, how would you um, sort of rate the uh, position that you have in, in the competitive landscape in the enterprise uh, commerce software world today? Yeah, look, it's an interesting question because it, I think it always depends from, you know, which angle, you know, what angle you look at it, right? I think there's the very, like, there's the tech angle and who falls into into in the same or similar bucket, like technology-wise, right? So I think there are, like, one, two companies in the world uh, leading, you know, the, the 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 space, and we're definitely one of them, and we are, you know, by far the fastest growing, like, you know, triple-digit growth year over year. But there is also the perception of the customers, right? Sometimes you are put into a bucket that you personally don't think you you belong in. I mean, very very simple example is there are still customers who you know think, hey, this is a you know web shop software, right? And they would put you in the bucket with many mid market SMB market or even SaaS type of solutions to solve a very you know non sophisticated commoditized use case. Which we can solve well, you know, we don't have, all, we do have all the features. We can, of course, we can solve it. But is this, you know, what gets us super excited? Is this what, you know, is is the vision? Is this the problem we think we sh sh shall be solving and why we exist? Maybe not, right? And this is kind of, you know, I think the the uh, the different, you know, there are different approaches just to it. And I think it's it's typically I can just give the advice: don't be too much focused, you know, on competition. There are so many people always asking. You know how many meetings you guys have in the management team. You know how much time you spend on competitive analysis. You know, so the, the answer is zero, right? So we there is no meeting where we look at. You know, we, we spend a lot of time. You know, on our customers, understanding what we can should be solving better for them or for our partners, but we don't spend time on on looking backwards. I think that's definitely the way to go. Um, now you mentioned uh, in the beginning also that you sort of were familiar with sort of the B2C and the Shopify of this world and, and the, also the companies catering to SMBs. Um, would you say going after bigger enterprises, uh, which is what you're doing, it's of course different, but is it also more difficult? I, I can imagine longer sales cycles, more technical uh, prowess that you need to sort of make implementations and also legacy project um, systems that you have to take into account, et cetera. Uh, but how, how would you describe the, the differences between uh, those offerings? I think the most fundamental difference to me, and I'm always making jokes of it because this is now, you know, the third time I'm building a B2B company product business. And I'm always saying, you know, at some point in my life, I have to do something in the B2C world uh, because the main problem with B2B is that the buyer of your product is not the user of your product, right? And this is a fundamental difference. You know, if you and I would decide about should we buy the iPhone or the Samsung phone, we, we would vote with the most honest thing we have, which is our wallet, right? Put it on the iPhone, put it on Samsung, because we are the users of the product. And same goes for these SMB mom and pop shop kind of technologies like, you know, Shopify, et cetera. Right? Very often you are the, the, the entrepreneur uh, yourself, right? You are the owner of the small business yourself. So you are very much interested in how it looks like, how it feels like, how is the UI, how is the support, all these things. 
And B2B, in especially in the enterprise world, this is absolutely not the case. So you would deal with people sometimes for six, seven, eight, nine, 12 months, right? Negotiating, talking legal, doing demos even, right? Who will never ever see and use the product after the deal is signed, right? So they will not be the, they will not be the either developers coding with it or the business users using the marketing, promotion, content, whatever capabilities. And this makes it very, 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 you know, kind of, you know, strange in terms of, in terms of, you know, the, the, the overall, uh, the oral uh, understanding. You of course also have a lot of politics, right? So there might be a little, a lot of politics. People who have something to lose, something to win. People who maybe fought for another solution. People who just you know rolled out something two years ago and you know have to admit it's not working as as it should. Of course, you have all the complexity of integrations. You have much more partners. So I think overall the space is is is. Of course, you know, eventually, if you get through all of it, you know, it might be rewarding because, of course, you are looking at larger deal sizes, potentially longer contracts, a much stickier product because it's, you know, so much integrated into everything that you just, you know, you don't just plug it out and throw it away. But the way the, the way there is, 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 <laughs> is very, very intense. I can imagine. Um, so when your PR agency pitched me, you know, you should interview Boris uh, and talk about Spryker. It was it was interesting for two reasons. I'm not slamming them, by the way. They did a good job, but it was quite entertaining because one of the things they highlighted was that you used to be a champion trampoliner in your youth, and that it somehow helped you to build uh, this business in a better way. Is that actually the case? It's actually the case. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that they that they they are using it, but yeah, I think you know they they, they interview you and they get a lot of a lot of insights. Uh, yeah, so it's true. I, I I don't you know I can't really draw the the line between between you know the, the the let's say professional. It's not really professional because you can't really make money with trampoline. You know, it's a very cool sport. It's you know it's a you know very elegant and uh, you know it's it's super. But you know you just can't make money with it. But let's call it still professional career, you know. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think that you know there is at least some parallels that you can also see, especially with people in sales and business. You know, I think if if you if you have been you know doing sports uh, professionally, then you know if you want it or not, but you want to win, right? You want to you you are used to work hard, you know, to train, to go the extra mile, all these kind of things. I think are, are kind of what it gives you, right? Maybe some discipline as well, right? Uh, maybe also some, in a way, some patience, right? Sometimes you just need a lot of time before you can really, you know, it sometimes takes years to really get from point A to B. Uh, sacrifice is definitely also something like every entrepreneur, everyone who starts something. It's not, you know, I, I, people, especially younger people nowadays, look at all these, you know, uh, all these videos and and and, and clips and <laughs> Instagram <laughs> profiles, and it's it's like. You know the the startup CEO is always having fun and you know drinking champagne. I mean that's definitely not the case, right? So there's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of time you invest, a lot of friends you don't see, a lot of family you don't see, a lot of hobbies you you can't really, really, really do. So yeah, you know if, if I would draw the parallel, maybe this is it then. Great, thank you. Um, the other thing that they mentioned, and this was the original pitch, by the way, uh, they were saying you should talk to Boris on how to spend 130 million dollars in six months, uh, because of course you did raise 130 million. I think it was December uh, last year, um, so not even a year ago. Did you actually spend all of that money already? No, 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 no. We haven't spent. <laughs> Good, uh, happy yeah. to hear it. I mean, this is this is also <laughs> a funny. Uh, it's also actually a funny, funny thing that you know, uh, it's much it's much harder to spend than people think, right? It's really especially in a business like ours, which is essentially 
you know, a recurring revenue model where, you know, companies, you know, pay you on a monthly or an annual basis, right? So it's not like you do consulting work or project, you get paid and then you hope for the next project. So you kind of have this, you know, ever growing revenue stream, which, which, which like a snowball, right? If you do it right. So it's really, it's ironical, but it's really harder to spend <laughs> than, than people think. Um, I mean, in our business, at the end of the day, it's really primarily people, right? Who you invest in, uh, it's team, it's, maybe the ability to invest in people who you need instead of people who you can afford right which is different from when you bootstrap a business uh my two businesses before were bootstrapped so when we started this one i was like okay maybe this is now the time when we need to have have real professional investors on board because we just need to go much faster we need to get the right people on board uh and we believe that time is our most important KPI. I'm just, you know, jokingly at, at when the new joiners have their CEO lunches every month and jokingly say, we are basically, we're like physicians, right? We're in the business of bending time, right? Uh, we just happen to sell software on the side because you always have this very, very short window of opportunity before the next technology cycle comes, before customers change their expectation again, before a new competitor comes up and you either have to execute or not, right? Within this time frame. So yeah, I mean, we started spending. Let's go, let's let's put it like this. Um, we started spending. We started investing into international international expansion. Uh, you know, hired a lot of people in the U.S. and other regions, investing in the product, looking at M and A opportunities, of course. But no, we have we have. I think, <laughs> I, I think the investors would not like to hear that we have spent. <laughs> well, it depends, unless you, of course, have another investment round in the works. Uh, because we all know there's a lot of money uh, these days going into startups and scale-ups. Uh, there's lots of capital available around the world, uh, especially for businesses like yours. They're in the enterprise space. They're global uh, and they're fast growing. So, uh, do you also foresee in the future maybe uh, raise another round, go public? Maybe uh, how, how do you see that? Yeah, look, I think, you know, at the moment we are well funded, right? And we are executing, uh, you know, against the plan that we have presented that I think we have uh, and the, the, the opportunity, you know, uh, I, I can I can potentially see us, you know, raise raise more funds uh, going forward. It will depend on the growth trajectory. It will depend on, you know, you're not raising just to raise, right? You're raising to, to do something, right? So, you know, it's more regions, it's buying someone, it's, you know, building another product. So, you know, I could see all of this happening in the future. And as you said, the markets are, I think very liquid at the moment. There's a lot of appetite uh, in general for uh, you know investing into enterprise software, investing into enterprise cover software in particular, obviously, right? And post-COVID, I think you know everyone, especially in the B2B space, also waking up. So there's a lot of interest in buying in buying uh, you know products like ours. Yeah, and you know regarding IPO, not IPO, there is no such plan at the moment. I mean, obviously, we we it's kind of I think no surprise if you have institutional investors, then at some point you know you will have to. And you want also to generate some return for people who, you know, trusted you uh, and invested in you. But there is no pressure. I think, you know, we have very good investors who are willing to, you know, follow up and see see us building the next, you know, global category leader. So th there is more pressure on the execution side, I guess, than on the, <laughs> on the exit side at this point. It's funny because I was just going to ask you about pressure. I was going to ask you, do you miss the days where you were running a bootstrap business? Because, of course, both come with their own challenges. Once you raise investments, sort of the, the clock starts ticking. When your boots are, of course, you uh, you wish you had resources. So, so what do you think is the most challenging one? And what would you advise uh, entrepreneurs nowadays to do? Bootstrap for as long as possible or raise funding whenever they can? Yeah, it's a very good question. So let me ask, uh, let me answer the, the second, maybe first. Um, so, I mean, obviously it depends on the business and the configuration, right? I, I think if you, I mean, it was never 
easier to build a product and cheaper than today, right? I mean, you have access to all these cloud technologies, you can, uh, to all these SDKs, you can build an app, you know, for, for you know, uh, Mickey Mouse money, literally, you can run it and deploy it on an AWS cloud. It was never cheaper to build at least a prototype, a working, you know, MVP, kind of validate your ideas. So I would always, unless it's uh, something that, you know, super, super sophisticated, you know, where you need access to, I don't know, super uh, computers, whatever, I would advise for the first MVP or we call it NVP, non-viable product, I would advise build it like, you know, you can always either you have some some money on the side or just, you know, raise it with, with friends, family and build a prototype because otherwise you end up, you know, uh, diluting too much too early. But once you have this, I think you need to go fast because as we discussed, right, uh, all the barriers, they're all gone, right? There is no territorial barriers anymore. Talent is available everywhere. Cloud is available everywhere. Competition is available everywhere. Um, all the, the modern distri distribution platforms like the app stores, like you know the enterprise platform, they're also available everywhere, right? So you can build an app and deploy it, and people in Asia can use it right away. So, you know, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of upside in in you know having, as I said, the ability to hire people you really need, hire the best engineer, the best CTO, the best marketeer, the best BI expert, and not just someone you can afford at a certain point in time. Also not being distracted, especially when you're a product company, by being forced to do consulting on the side, being forced to do professional services too much on the side, right? Being forced to be opportunistic and listen to every customer's needs and build what they need and not what you think is right as a product. You know, this might be temptating in the beginning, but you know, this 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 kind of a poison pill that you're taking. So I would, I would and again, the money is available. We are, uh, you know, good news for every founder listening here. It is a founder market at the moment, right? If you are good, if you are, if you have a good idea, and if you are a good team, you will be funded. Period, right? You will be funded, and you will be able to select and choose from from maybe multiple uh, investors. So you will be able, you know, to negotiate a good position for yourself, not to dilute too much, but while still building what you want. And I think what what is true for us with time is the most important KPI. It's true for almost every business. This is why in our walls, this is written like in the office, time is the most important KPI. So I would highly advise then, you know, to go fast. Once you have figured it out with your MVP or NVP, just, just go, you know, uh, super fast, deliver it, execute it. You know, there is, there is little that can go wrong, you know, and, and you might, you might just, just, you know, uh, lose the opportunity to, uh, to build it for myself, as I said, right, like. I personally like the setup that we have right now because it gives you the right ability to execute, right? I remember the times when we had all these temptations that I just mentioned, right? When, you know, we were forced to, to do things on the side and, you know, consult and customers were pulling us left and right with their wishes and you try to make it work for everyone. You know, I think this was super challenging and maybe the most important piece, um, you know, for me at the moment is, you know, it gives you the ability to do, to run experiments in parallel. What I mean by that is, you know, if you're bootstrapping a business, you can just do things sequentially, right? For example, you can just say, okay, this year I will go to this trade show because this is what I have money for. And I will try this content format and I will maybe build this product line or I will try this sales approach or I will uh, roll out Benelux as the next country, right? And then by the end of the year, you will know whether this worked or not and whether you should double down on it or take it behind the bar and shoot it, right? Now, what we can do and what we're also doing is in order to go fast and in order to bend time, as I said, we can do things in parallel. We don't need to do it sequentially. So we can say, these are the five interesting trade shows in the US. 
Let's do all of them this year, right? These are the four content formats, you know, that we think are interesting. Let's do all of them. These are the three performance marketing approaches. These are the three interesting product ideas we have. These are the three regions we want to try. We see opportunity in. And then, of course, you don't you don't do it in a dumb way. Of course, you set yourself goals. You send yourself KPIs. Uh, being data driven is super important if you go fast because otherwise it's just waste of uh, waste of money. But once you have set it up and once you know how the MVP looks like for every of this of these trials, you can do all of them in parallel, right? So you basically your learning curve is accelerated. You learn faster, you get insights faster, and then by the end of the year you already know which of the three conferences you double down on next year instead of doing this in a sequential way. And I think this is the most important thing that you basically get, you know, speed, you know, uh, parallelization and access to people that you otherwise would most likely, even if you wanted, not be able to get. Great. Well, I think that was a fantastic summary and a great advice for uh, any founders who are listening. Uh, thank you so much for sharing, Boris. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. It was a pleasure to learn more about Spryker. I'm going to continue to keep an eye on the company and the progress that you make, of course. Uh, but thank you so much for taking uh, the time. I know you're very busy, so thank you so much for that and uh, sharing your insights with the audience as well. Really appreciate it. And this is it for today's episode. Big thanks to Boris Lokshin for joining and to Robin for recording this conversation. And big thanks to you out there for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place happens to have a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineer is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com, check them out. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome always. Send them by email to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechU Podcast, I am Andre Degler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy your week. Bye-bye.